everyone, this is Caleb, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today, I am honored to be joined by Ruth Haley Barton to talk with her about her brand new book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest from Sabbath to Sabbatical and Back Again. Now, if you've been listening to the Learner's Corner for a long time, you're going to be familiar with Uh, what informs everything that we do here on the podcast. But if you aren't, I do want to tell you about a couple of things that really inform everything that we do here on the podcast. The first one is this, is that we truly want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And what we're going to talk about today can be a difficult conversation to have with people because it's around the idea of taking time to rest and ceasing from work with the idea of Sabbath and sabbatical. And there's some people who are open to that conversation and maybe you've just experienced that there's some people who are not opening or not open to having that conversation of, of rest. And, and that could be very difficult to deal with. We also believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them. We believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, whether it's something serious or it's something a little bit more trivial. And we do this because we want to be the person who was there for us. Or maybe we wish that we had somebody to help guide us along the way. And we're trying to be that for other people. And this journey that, uh, that Ruth talks about in her book of rest and Sabbath is sabbatical is very key to being that type of person. And it's being, and it's, because it helps us be that type of person for the long haul, for the long run, for for years and years and years to come instead of exhausting ourselves to the point to where we can no longer help anybody and we can't even help ourselves. And so that's a little bit of what, you know, of who we are for the podcast. And that's a little bit of what we're going to cover today in my conversation with Ruth Haley Barton. Now, If you're enjoying this, or if you want to keep up, or you're a lifelong learner, the best way to keep up with everything that we're doing and to to continue to grow is by subscribing to my newsletter to where I give you all of the things that are making me think, some of the things that I am learning from as well. It's usually three, four, five things from music to movies to podcasts to articles to quotes to literally anything that is making me think or things that I am learning from. And you can just go on the show notes and subscribe to that. And it will enter into your email box every single week. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Ruth Haley Barton, and then we will jump into my conversation with her. Ruth Haley Barton is the founder of the Transforming Center, a ministry dedicated to strengthening the souls of pastors and Christian leaders and the congregations and organizations they serve. A seasoned spiritual director, Ruth holds a Doctor of Divinity from Northern Seminary along with her studies at Loyola University Chicago Institute for Pastoral Studies. She is a sought-after speaker and preacher, having served on the pastoral staffs of several churches and also teaching frequently at the graduate level. She has authored several books, including Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Sacred Rhythms, along with many others. She shares perspectives on transforming leadership through her Beyond Words blog and her Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. 
And without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Ruth, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, anytime that I talk with somebody who has authored a book, one of the places that I usually love to start is I love hearing the origin story for the book. And so I would just love to hear from you. What is the the origin story, the thing that that happened that made you go, yeah, I think I want to pursue this work. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the Sabbath has been a theme in my writings for a while. And it's important to say that, that there's a chapter in the book, Sacred Rhythms on Sabbath. And then there's a chapter on Sabbath for leaders in the book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. So sometimes in an author's works, you'll see that there's a thread. Um, And so this, the Sabbath and the importance of it is more of a thread than it is a one-time thing right now. But um, it it came in two ways. One is that in my early forties, I'd been, you know, doing a lot for the Lord. I'm a pastor's kid and I went into ministry right away after college and actually while I was in college and um, had been achieving and overachieving for a very long time. And and kind of enjoying my life in that way, you know? Um, But in my early 40s, I was starting to recognize a level of exhaustion that um, was starting to be quite disturbing. And yet I would read about the Sabbath and think, well, that's not going to work for me. You know, I'm on staff Mm -hmm. at a church, and so Sunday is the busiest day. Um, My children were all very busy in sports, and, you know, sports teams play on Sundays. My husband was a banker, and is a banker, and his bank was open on Sunday. So it just seemed like Sabbath is not for me. There's no way I can have it. Um, But I was feeling a longing for a way of life that worked and for a way to move beyond the kind of exhaustion um, and 24-7 lifestyle I was living. And so at that time, I had a biking accident. And I don't think that God caused the accident, but I think that God used the accident to Mm -hmm. sort of stop me in my tracks and offer me an opportunity to really ponder my life and also ponder the gift of Sabbath as I'd been reading about it. And to pull it out of the too hard file and say, is this possible for me? Cause I'm realizing that I really want it and that I really need it. Mm. So that was, that was the early, early origins of my Sabbath yeah. book. Yeah. And I think going, going through the book mm-hmm. and you writing about your perspective <clears throat> of like, yeah, I did not like, I did not want to do this yes. was very shocking mm-hmm. to me because mm-hmm. being familiar with your, with just your earlier work, can you take me back to mm-hmm. that mentality of, not believing that Sabbath was even like a good thing mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, I I was raised um, in a pastor's home and we did practice Sabbath, but in a rather legalistic way. And so um, it was a day not of enjoyment, but of doing all the things that go along with being a pastor's family. So we were in church twice, you know, morning and evening. And then we mm-hmm. would often have company in between and the women would work pretty hard on the dinner and the serving and the cleanup and stuff like that. And there were some things like swimming and biking that we weren't allowed to do. I don't know why that interpretation of Sabbath was present at the time, but it was. And so there was no- nothing about it that felt inviting to me. Um, so that's one reason was the legalism that I had experienced early on. But then, as I already mentioned, um, you know, life is really full and I had a lot of things I wanted to achieve and do in life. And so Sunday was just a really good day for getting things done and continuing my overachieving ways. And it just seemed like, why would I want to stop that for God or for anybody? You know, cause I was enjoying, you know, kind of enjoying and riding the wave of my drivenness at that point. So that's, 
that's why I wasn't particularly drawn. And then you add on to that, that third element of it seemed impossible later on in my family's life when I had children who played sports and Sunday was a big day for me as a person on a pastoral staff and, you know, my husband working, it just didn't even seem possible. So I think those three layers and a certain kind of grandiosity, you know, I don't need that. I'm too important to need that. That's only for retired people. That's for people who don't have much to do. That's for people who aren't in demand. And I didn't see myself that way. And so, um, there was a certain kind of grandiosity, you know, almost like, like thumbing my nose at God and saying, you might've thought I needed this, but I really don't need this. You know, you might've needed it yourself in creation, but I don't need this, you know, just crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to go back to your time after the bike accident that you mm -hmm. mentioned, was there like a specific thing that happened that like made you understand Sabbath better? Or was it just a gradual thing mm -hmm. that happened? No, it was actually in the context of that um, accident, I had one friend who said to me, because I went right back to work the next day, um, even though I'd been run over by a van um, on the lower half of my body and I was bruised and I had a fracture, but I didn't know it then because it didn't, it wasn't discovered in the x-ray. I had to walk around in pain for a while and say, I think something's wrong. And then they found it in an MRI several weeks later. Um, but I was bandaged and bruised and everything else, but I went back to work the next day. And so I had a friend who said, Ruth, you know, you could take a day off. You did just get run over by a car, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and it just struck me like, yeah, why wouldn't I think that I could take a day off? What's going on here? Um, and then another friend said, uh, Ruth, when are you going to learn that when you're on a bike, you can't take on a van? And it sort of became a metaphor for my life, you know, that I continued to try to do things that were out of reach, you know, that were more than what a human can actually do. And so it was those comments. And then, um, you know, taking some time to heal and, and realizing that this longing for rest that I'd been experiencing and the the longings that were stirred in reading beautiful books about the Sabbath was something that God was actually inviting me to pay attention to and to say, if you want it bad enough, you know, I will help you find a way. You're mm -hmm. uh, find a way to have it because it's a gift. I've given it to you. I, I want you to have it. You know, just as you were talking, one of the things that came to mind is you were talking about your physical injury mm -hmm. that you were pushing through. Yeah. And yet there's emotional injuries that we just push through. And it's like, of course, yeah. I'm going to continue to work exactly. through physical injuries. Like our mm -hmm. body literally stops us mm -hmm. in our tracks sometimes. But can you talk about that emotional side that of just resting on the Sabbath? Yeah. Too? Yeah. Well, and, you know, honestly, when you go through a traumatic experience like being run over by a car, at first I didn't think that there was any emotional healing that needed to be done. And it wasn't until several months later that some real post-traumatic stress came out. And I realized, oh, it's not just my body, it's actually my psyche that needs healing because getting run over by a car on your bike is a traumatic experience for both the body and the soul and the mind. And, um, you know, our bodies hold trauma if we don't heal at the level of our bodies. And so um, I, that was a, a learning as well that we can pretend like we're okay. We might even think we're okay, but the body's still holding its memories. And, um, you know, at some point it's probably going to push through our consciousness and we're going to realize that there's some healing that needs to take place. So, um, I learned that then and there. And then, um, certainly in my practice of Sabbath, there is a sense that it's not just our bodies that need rest, but our minds and our souls need rest and healing and love. You know, God really loves on us on the Sabbath in a way that's deeply, mm -hmm. deeply healing to us as human beings on all the levels. Yeah. Mm. I want to I dig down deeper a little mm -hmm. bit in that I want to ask you, like, what are some of the things that you do to help you 
like better recognize, oh, I am going through some emotional trauma mm-hmm. right now. Cause I'm like reading through your book and just talking with you. I very much pick up the sense like mm-hmm. you're a driver, you're mm-hmm. a go-getter and I'm, yeah. I'm the same way too. And sometimes we could just plow right through our feelings yeah. and, and our emotions, but what helps you like take inventory mm-hmm. of yourself in that? Yeah. Well, the practice of solitude is the beginning, I think, and cultivating solitude as a place of rest in God for body, mind, and soul. And um, another definition of solitude for me that I really love is being with God with what is. Um, And so, you know, actually, I would say that my Sabbath journey began with my practice of solitude and silence, that the early experiences of, of Sabbath actually were for me experienced in solitude and silence as I learned to um, cultivate it as a place of rest in God. I learned what it felt like to rest. And I learned what it felt like to be with God with what is. Uh, And that could be grief or gratitude or um, really hard things that have happened. But rather than pressing on, creating and cultivating solitude as a place where I could be with God with those things in a really intentional way and let God come to me in a healing way. Um, So solitude for me has become pretty crucial in that. And then Um, retreat is an extended practice of being with God and God alone. And sometimes in the rush of our lives and in the push of our lives, uh, we just don't have the time and space to let the full emotional impact of things come or to really fully acknowledge the places of healing. And so a longer retreat can also be an opportunity, especially if it's coupled with spiritual direction, which I highly recommend. Um, and then, you know, the Sabbath practice and eventually, as you know, sabbatical provides a yeah. lot of space for for healing in ways that we need healing. And you can incorporate um, not only your spiritual practice of spiritual direction, but also uh, therapeutic, um, you know, therapeutic psychological counseling sessions as well to help us through our grief and through the traumas of life. Yeah. Do you have any like specific practices that you just go to in in your solitude or in your retreat or on your Sabbath that just helps you? Well, the silence, um, yeah. being with God in silence, because even in solitude, we can fill up the experience with a lot of human effort and human striving, reading our Bibles and not that Bible reading is good, but many of us are very achievement oriented yeah. in reading our Bibles. Um, you know, and prayer with words, which can also be kind of exhausting if you're trying to put into words something that's beyond words, um, mm. or reading self-help books or trying to journal. I mean, all of those things are valuable, but not if they become performance and effortful and stuff like that. So the practice of silence in particular, coupled with solitude, is what's really powerful because we're resting ourselves in God. We're acknowledging that what most needs to be done in our lives, only God can do. And um, in in a very real way waiting on God for what God wants to do in terms of meeting us and healing us and touching the broken places of our lives. So, you know, Psalm 62 says, in silence, my soul waits for you and you alone, O God, from you alone comes my salvation. And so, you know, in silence, we actually wait on God for our salvation Mm -hmm. and we see how Mm -hmm. God will meet us in that place. And it takes a lot of faith to believe that if we stop distracting ourselves, that God will meet us you know, in that place. Um, And certainly journaling, I would, I would say that then out of the silence after we're really in touch with what needs attention with what needs God's touch in our lives, uh, that often out of that, a more productive kind of journaling can come. Talk to me about, you've mentioned a couple of times, but just the gift that Sabbath can be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Sabbath, you know, it is a commandment. It's, it, it is the fourth commandment. And I, even though I don't want to emphasize that to the extent that it feels like an ought or a should, we also need to recognize that it's more important than a lifestyle suggestion. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a certain weight and a certain gravitas that comes when we recognize it is the fourth commandment. Um, it preceded the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Sabbath was given to the people of God as a gift before the Ten Commandments were given. And, and that's also very, very important, that when God called forth a people for himself, he said, I have this gift, I have this thing that I want to share with you. And it's called Sabbath, and it's, it's where you get to rest. And when you think about it in the context of the origin story of the Sabbath, it came to an oppressed people. It came to people mm-hmm. who had not been getting to rest at all. It came to people who had been driven by harsh taskmasters and had no personal freedom to rest and to take a Sabbath. So for me, the idea of Sabbath is rest is really compelling, but it's bigger than that. It's also about liberation. It's also about living our lives on God's own terms for us. Um, and so in that way, it was the most profound gift God could have given because it was sign, symbol, and the lived reality of their freedom from harsh taskmasters, their freedom from slavery, their freedom from oppression. And I think we today are also oppressed and um, burdened in ways that we don't even realize, and the Sabbath is a gift to us in that. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the you know some of the gifting that is there yeah. even in the earliest um, iteration of the Sabbath. So it is a gift, but it's also elevated. You know, that in, in some ways you think of a gift. Well, I don't have to receive that. I don't have to use that. I can take it back if I don't want to. Well, not quite. Not in this case. And as far as I can see, God never took it back. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and Jesus, yeah. as a practicing yep. Jew with his disciples, practiced the Sabbath. And so, in many ways, also, I think Sabbath could be seen as part of our discipleship and our followership, following Jesus to say, Jesus practiced Sabbath. He did his life taking the seventh day and ceasing mm-hmm. work. And resting and trusting God with his life. Yeah. Well, I think even to your point that you made earlier, it just reminds us that we do have limits and that we aren't God mm-hmm. in that who who is limitless. Yes. Yeah. Right. And the God who uh, actually is limitless still said, I'm going to practice ceasing and stopping and yeah. resting, you know? Yeah. So there's something yep. more to it than just even our limits. There's a goodness that even transcends limitation, right? Because yeah. God embraced it, even though God is one who doesn't have limits. Mm, yeah. Why do you think that we tend not to view Sabbath as a gift, like as a as a broader culture, even in the church? Mm-hmm. Like, as as you were mentioned for your background, I know that's been my background too. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think I mentioned some of my own personal reasons. You know, maybe we haven't been guided into the practice in such a way that it feels like a gift. And that's mm-hmm. you know as you as you would know from reading the book, I have a tremendous amount of passion in this book around seeing leaders guide their congregations and communities into the gift of Sabbath. That that's that is the job of the leader. It's mm-hmm. it was Moses's job. God gave it to Moses. God didn't give it to Joshua or Caleb or anybody else. God gave it to the senior leader and said, "You are supposed to bring this gift to the people." So that's one thing I would say is we just haven't been taught and uh, given guidance into the experience as a gift. Secondly, um, I think there is a certain grandiosity that we have about ourselves that we think, oh, certainly that does not apply to me, especially Mm -hmm. high-performing, driven types. Um, Certainly, I don't need the Sabbath, right? I don't need rest. I can go and go and go and go and go. I'm strong. I'm young. I'm strong, you know? 
Um, yeah. So that's that's one reason. And then I think an overall, like I said before, the word grandiosity may sound like a harsh word, but I think it is a grandiosity that we indulge to our own mm -hmm. peril. You know, it's this grandiose feeling that I don't need that. Um, it's just not even accurate. I mean, our our creator created us and then said, I think this would be good for you. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to hear, what are some of the other, like, just misunderstandings that you have encountered about mm -hmm. Sabbath? Yeah. One is that I think that people think that Sabbath is the same thing as solitude and silence. And mm -hmm. so when you speak about Sabbath and somebody's here through their own grid, they're hearing you talk about solitude and silence. Anybody who has young children or has a very demanding life will say, uh, or, you know, or who has a very peopled life will say, well, I can't do that. You know, I, I have children. I can't, I can't practice Sabbath. Um, and so it's unfortunate that we have conflated solitude and silence with Sabbath because Sabbath by definition is about being in your community. It's about being with the people that you love and the people that God has given you to do your life with. And so we're not looking for solitude and silence necessarily on the Sabbath. We're looking for how to cease our work, how to rest, how to delight in God's gifts to us and how to worship God with our whole beings. And those things are, you know, somewhat distinctly different. Now, if you can get some solitude and silence in your Sabbath, hallelujah, great, go for it. Yeah. But if you can't, it's okay because that's not the fundamental purpose of Sabbath. So that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I'm trying to clear up in this book, that Sabbath is a communal discipline meant to be practiced with those that we're close to. Um, mm -hmm. So that's 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 one thing. Yeah. And that, that makes me think of what you talk about in the book is how sometimes church unintentionally, maybe sometimes intentionally, I don't know. We don't know their hearts, but uh, can, can get in the way of people experiencing Sabbath. Can you talk about some of the subtler ways yeah. or even maybe some of the overt ways that church can get in the way of us actually keeping and following this commandment? Right. Well, this goes back to my own story. And that is that, you know, when I was on, I, when I, left the staff position that I'd had in a church, I was actually a little bit excited about just going to a, you know, a normal church as a no, normal parishioner and thinking, okay, now that I'm not on staff at a church, our family can practice Sabbath. At least I'm not going to be the obstacle because I'm working so hard on Sundays. And then I discovered that lo and behold, this particular church's schedule prevented us as a family being able to practice Sabbath because they loaded all their church activities into Sundays. So the youth group meetings, congregational meetings, choir practices, small groups, everything got loaded into Sunday, which meant that for our family of five, um, we were coming and going all day on Sabbath. We, we would struggle to even find two hours when we could share a meal together, let alone a day that felt fundamentally different than the other days of the week. And I had to acknowledge that it wasn't the secular culture that keeps us from Sabbath keeping. That's not the only thing that keeps mm -hmm. us from Sabbath. Actually, our church cultures, these high performance churches with so many church activities um, also keep us from practicing Sabbath. And that was extremely sobering to me, almost heartbreaking, because I do believe this this practice is such a beautiful gift from God. And th so to think that the church itself would not be supporting and guiding and ordering itself around this was quite a devastating awareness. Mm -hmm. What do you wish that churches would do differently? Mm -hmm. Well, I wish that they would claim Sabbath as a practice and then order their lives around it, um, mm -hmm. saying this is a central practice for us, which means we are going to order our lives around it. And everything we do is going to be oriented towards making sure that we all get to practice Sabbath. And so one of the things that I suggest is that 
you know, we worship when we're going to worship. It could be Saturday night for some churches or Sunday mornings. But then after that, mm-hmm. there's nothing else. There's nothing else for the congregation. The staff mm-hmm. goes home. They start their Sabbath, and maybe their Sabbath goes through Monday at 1 or even into the evening. Yeah. The congregants are not pulled back to church or to activities. They all go home to be with their families and do the beautiful, delightful things that God gives us to do. And maybe you have a receptionist, you know, that's a a part-time receptionist covering the phones or whatever. Maybe the pastoral staff and the elders um, share responsibilities for being the pastor on call, but that generally um, the whole church is ordering its life around taking a Sabbath. And even when they make their decisions about new initiatives and new ministries, the question is, will we still be able to keep our Sabbath? And you allow that question to really shape your decision-making. And I've coined what I think may be an original phrase called a Sabbath community in in, in this book, because I am really encouraging us to think about our churches and our ministries. How can we become Sabbath communities? That is, communities who believe that Sabbath is a gift that's just as real today as it was when it was given and that we're going to order our lives around it in, in really, really concrete ways. Yeah. So just making sure that I'm, I'm following because like I'm so like I, I work at a church mm-hmm. and so like I've and I've been thinking about this idea of Sabbath for a while. How yeah. do you form like I hadn't had the Sabbath community, but mm-hmm. how do you form that around? So just to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. following you. So it'd be like we we have our Sunday service or our Saturday mm-hmm. night service. Maybe we have, you know, our kids and our kids stuff, you know, mm-hmm. in the morning, yeah. you know, with the adults and everything. Maybe you have student stuff in the morning, but then, you know, when, when the last service ends, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. We're not coming back for right. youth group nope. that night. We're not mm-hmm. coming back for, you know, an adult, you know, event mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's resting as soon as the last service mm-hmm. is done and making it intentional that we're just not doing anything that's right. through Monday afternoon mm-hmm. or Monday evening. Right. Yes. And for the normal congregants, and what I mean by that is people who just attend, I'm not even talking yeah. about high level volunteers or volunteers right now, but people who just attend yeah. coming to church can be a very restful part yeah. of their Sabbath. Their Sabbath can start, like say your church meets on Sunday mornings, their Sabbath can start on Saturday night um, and worship is a part of their restful way of being because they're not working and pulling off the ministry. But for the pastoral staff, that is their work. That's not, yeah. it's not, it's not their rest. There's, there are ways to enter into it that can be more restful than other ways of entering into it, but it's not their rest. They're pulling off ministry. They're doing their work. And Sabbath is about ceasing. It's about resting, but the word Shabbat means to cease. Mm-hmm. You know, it means to stop the work that you normally do. So if you're a pastor, that means you, you know, your Sabbath doesn't start until you're stopping the work that you normally do. Um, High-level volunteers is another category of people that I am really concerned about, to be honest, because they work nine to five jobs Monday through Friday. And then depending on how busy the church is and how much the church relies on volunteers, then we might be putting them through their paces on the weekend. And then the question is, how are we teaching them to honor Sabbath? How are we guiding them into a real, a realistic practice of Sabbath keeping if we keep working them to death? all through the weekend and then they come back to Monday and they have to go back to their 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 other job, their nine to five job. I think some of these questions are questions that congregations are going to need to figure out together. But And I'm hoping this book really helps with that. Um, this book is unabashedly aimed at leaders and yeah. their personal practice, yes, but even more so what it means for them in community and, and what it means as part of their leadership 
to begin to guide others into this good way. Yeah. Well, even you mentioned in the, the high that the high level volunteer thing even got me thinking about like what you mentioned with Moses, like it, mm-hmm. it's the leader's job to set the tone mm-hmm. by modeling it That's right. and enforce and that, enforcing yeah. the mm-hmm. Sabbath. And, and even just going with what you were saying about ceasing as well. Mm-hmm. I'm just learning to be okay with like, yep, we are stopping mm-hmm. because that is what the Sabbath is. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it yeah. helps us not to let people wiggle out of it by saying, well, you know, I do my ministry in a very restful way. Well, great. Good for you. But it's not the same thing as ceasing, yeah. right? Yep. That yeah. is a very fine yep. nuance that gets lost oftentimes in our thinking and our teachings about Sabbath. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about sabbatical too. So I want to move okay. uh, to that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'd love, I'd love to hear what, what, uh, how'd you first become introduced to the idea, the idea of sabbatical mm-hmm. and even like implementing it in yourself? Yeah. Well, I came to it late and, and just like I came to the Sabbath practice late. I mean, I didn't start practicing Sabbath until um, in, I was in my early forties for all the reasons that I've already mentioned. So I, I was practicing all sorts of other disciplines, but the Sabbath, I was actively resisting. So I came to that late and then um, came to the Sabbath, the sabbatical practice late as well. You know, I have my own organization called the Transforming Center. We've been in existence for 20 years. And while we practice Sabbath together from the very beginning, we've always practiced Sabbath. Um, The sabbatical part was something, you know, because I'm the founder and typically a lot of the weight of leading the organization falls on me. Um, I don't think I thought, or we thought, how can we give this to her? But eventually I came to a place where I was desperate enough that I said, I have, I really have got to have this. So we planned it for one summer. Um, that didn't work out for family reasons because, um, my, my, um, dad was failing. My parents were failing and we knew that I, I, since I was their primary caregiver within the family that, I couldn't leave while one of my brothers was on his own sabbatical. So yeah. uh, we we put it off, but I was needing it then, even though I couldn't get it. Then uh, during COVID, we were able to see that we were going to suspend our ministry for a while because we we do in-person retreats. And so we went into, we, we really felt led into a period of dormancy as an organization. And that was when we saw the opening for me to have my first sabbatical. And I've had two um, since then to try to make up for lost time, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and, um, at, at that point, we actually embedded it in our, in our life as a culture and, and our board, uh, really crafted our own position and policy on sabbatical mm-hmm. and embedded it into the, you know, the DNA of our organization. And I was able to have my first. And then, um, because I'd been in ministry for so long without a sabbatical, I really, when I got back, I eventually had to say, you know, it wasn't quite enough. And yeah. they were very kind and granted me a second one, same length. Um, so they were, you know, very gracious. But it's it's a very generous thing for um, a, a church or a ministry to do for its leaders. And also, I think, very necessary and very biblical. And we know that the sabbatical practice also is found in the Old Testament, but also it's found in the agricultural rhythms, too, mm-hmm. um, around the idea of letting a piece of land lie fallow, not making it produce for every year, but every seventh year, every, you know, it works that the land produces for six years and then somewhere along in the seventh year, you allow it to lie dormant. Um, it, it also emerges from the deep natural rhythms of agricultural life 
So it's it's profoundly true, grounded in God and also grounded in um, in the life of, of agriculture. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you mentioned whenever, you know, it's, it's the summer before your sabbatical mm-hmm. and you're feeling that I, I do need mm-hmm. the sabbatical, but because of, because of life, mm-hmm. you can't take it, mm-hmm. which is probably where we're going to find ourselves at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. What, what has helped, what helped you during that time? Or what do you wish that you would have done differently? Because whether it's because of life or it's because of our job or something like that, we're going to find mm-hmm. ourselves there yeah. at some point. Mm-hmm. It was helpful to me to know that um, the people around me saw the situation that I was in that our board and our staff, they knew that it would have been ideal if I could have taken it sooner. So they were kind, you know, to me. So that was part of the communal existence too, is to be seen um, and to have people willing to make some adjustments, you know, for me, knowing that um, it was needed, but it wasn't going to be happening right Mm -hmm. then and there. Um, And so, you know, even in our planning, there would be times when we cut back, you know, in order to just say, Ruth can't, she just can't take that on. We're not going to do that right now. Um, so I was grateful for that. And I was practicing Sabbath. So, um, and I, I think I had a significant retreat in there as well, like an eight day retreat. So we found some ways to get me something, even though I couldn't mm-hmm. take the whole thing, you know, during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the stories that you uh, write about in the sabbatical piece, which was so powerful mm-hmm. uh, to me, is you talk about like right at the beginning yeah. of your, mm-hmm. I think it was your first sabbatical. It was. Whenever all of the, the protests are happening over George Floyd's mm-hmm. death mm-hmm. and you were in a predicament. Would yeah. you mind telling yeah. that story? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you felt the power of it because it was certainly powerful when it was happening. And yeah. Um, yeah, so th- we had worked really hard to get me to sabbatical, and it had been three days. I think I unplugged on a Friday, and then three days later, uh, the the murder of George Floyd happened. And uh, we had my husband and I were situated on vacation. I was starting with a vacation, which I do suggest, by the way. I, I don't think sabbatical mm-hmm. is the same thing as vacation, but I would suggest starting with a vacation for the purpose of fully unplugging. You know, that, that first, you know, for what that week did for me was, there was a hard stop. You know, we were going on the day we were leaving because I could have kept working. I don't feel like I even got everything done, but there was a hard stop. We were leaving. Um, so we get ourselves away to this vacation spot and there we are watching TV and seeing that the whole country is burning down, you know? Um, and of course the dilemma for me, cause I'm someone who often, you know, will, contribute my voice in moments that I think are important, um, knowing that our people in particular within the Transforming Center Orbit really look to us for input and feedback and spiritual guidance during many different kinds of times, including difficult times. And this was a very, very difficult time Mm -hmm. in the human community and um, in our community here in the United States, but around the world. And so um, the question was, am I going to stay in sabbatical mode? Because we had been very clear about the fact that my sabbatical was for ceasing and stopping and resting. And we had been very clear about the fact that writing to publish for me is work. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And it's probably the deepest part of my calling. But it I, that was what I was being, one of the things I was being called to cease. So, um, of course, I couldn't help but wonder if this was enough of an emergency that we should have an exception. 
So I tried to convene our board. Some of them were on vacation. And remember, we had all agreed to go into dormancy. It wasn't like there was even somebody else to tap because we had said all of us, the whole organization is going into a dormant phase. And you know, I mean, that when you put something out on social media, then you have to be present to respond to it. It's not even as simple as Mm -hmm. writing an article. It's if you're going to put something out there, then you have to be present and willing to respond. And we couldn't do that. We, 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 to, to do that to our organization, whether I was there or not, uh, was something we just felt was against what we had been led to do. The fact that we couldn't even convene our board because of vacations was interesting. The board members that I was able to convene, we were not in agreement, could not get to a place of agreement about it. And so I opted to say, well, because, and, and that's unusual for our board. Uh, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're usually able to find our way to discerning what we think is the mind of Christ on the things that are um, given to us to do. So the fact that we were not able to achieve the unity that we usually are able to achieve was a, was a real signal to me that I needed to just stop and just honor what our board had been unified about. And that was that I was supposed to be on sabbatical and our, our organization was in dormancy. And so um, that was very key for me as I wrestled was I'm going to honor the fact that we don't have unity about this. And then secondly, um, honoring the sacredness of God's invitation to me into sabbatical, that I believe sabbatical is sacred time. I think it's a sacred gift that is not to be ex- you know, exploited or squandered. And I felt that if I took a week or two to be all caught up in writing a well-nuanced piece and then being present for what, it would, what would get stirred up um, on social media, that that would be squandering the gift that I've been given and also not fully receiving the invitation of God that, that I was exactly where God called me to be. Mm-hmm. So I also, um, allowed a sort of humbling to take place too, to say, you know, God knew the timing. God knew that three days after I unplugged, there was going to be this horrible event in the world's life. And somehow it's, you know, shocking. Somehow God thought that God could do it without me. Right. That somehow the world could make it through without Ruth Haley Barton making a comment, you know. And so I really also experienced it as a beautiful, appropriate kind of humbling to say, yeah, God, God's got this. God's got the whole world in his hands. It sounds very it sounds very simple and childlike. But that's where I went was God's got his world in his hands. And God knew that Ruth Haley Barton would be on sabbatical, which is where she's supposed to be at God's invitation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to trust God with God's world without me making comments right now. Now, I prayed, um, very actively prayed, um, and also um, wrote for myself my own uh, processing, which writing is a way that I process life and process the world. So I wrote for for personal reasons, but not for publication. And, um, you, you know, somehow... We made it through. Um, and then later on, when I did get back, and eventually um, I did write something. Um, and, you know, one of our board members from within the Black community, I did reach out and talk to her, and she was so wise. She said, you know what? Everybody's got a comment right now. Yours is just going to get lost, so don't bother. You know, mm-hmm. everybody who knows you and knows us well knows that we deal with issues of racial injustice and violence um, and, you know, inequalities and things like that. We are very proactive in dealing with that in our 
communities that we lead and things like that. So just trust that too. And so it's really great to have, because the silence is violence slogan was the one that bothered me the most. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I didn't comment or say anything, would we be part of the silence is violence dynamic that people were naming? Cause silence is violence in certain ways. Um, mm -hmm. but I was even able to process that with her and she said, people know you, they know us, they know that, um, we are not being silent on this. Um, and that there will be an appropriate time for you mm -hmm. to say what you have to say. So, mm. yeah. Well, one thing that I wanted to make sure that I ask you about is you constant, like anytime that I see someone uh, reference someone a lot mm -hmm. throughout the book, I always love asking them mm -hmm. about it. And so one of the people that you reference so much throughout the book is, uh, I think his name is David Alves. Alves, yeah. Mm -hmm. Alves. Well, actually, he says it Alves. Alves. Alves yeah. Even though there's an E, it's Alves. Yeah. Yeah. So much throughout the book, especially mm -hmm. in the sabbatical piece, mm -hmm. like you go to him so much. And I would just love to hear from you. What what's something or a couple of things that you've just taken away from his mm -hmm. work that has so resonated? With yeah. You? Um, yeah. The, and the reason I relied on his writing so much is that the book that I referenced is self-published. I mean, it's not even widely available. He had sent it to me um, when he when he published it. And I yeah. had a hard time finding resources on sabbatical when I was on sabbatical. And so that was, I only had two and that was one yeah. of them. So that was the reason for that. Um, the first one was his emphasis on the ceasing. Um, he actually mm -hmm. did the work with the original languages and said that, that by always talking about Sabbath as rest, we actually do the concept of disservice because it really means ceasing because God did not need to rest. God does not need rest. Um, but God chose to cease and to stop and to savor his work and call it good. And so that mm -hmm. nuance was very helpful to me, both as it has to do with Sabbath and sabbatical, that it really is about ceasing our normal work. And we better get pretty clear about what our work is so that that is what we stop. Um, from the Alban Institute, I, I also referenced a work that they put out about the fact that the academic community often see sabbatical as a time for projects and writing and things like that, mm -hmm. which is very disturbing to me because that's work. I mean, it's deep work. It's heavy lifting to write books and to do research and to plan recitals and whatever. So um, that was a helpful thing to me. And then the other thing that, that uh, David's work brought to me was just the fact that um, I just love this idea that congregations thrive in long within long-term pastorates where mm -hmm. pastorates pastors stay with their congregations for a long time and that sabbath and sabbatical is one of the ways that we can ensure that a pastor stays long-term in his or her congregation and that the congregation can help to ensure the pastor's longevity among them by giving this gift and i think that's a profound point mm -hmm. um that with the use of sabbath and sabbatical we could go a long way in ensuring uh, the long-term pastorate that is typically what is best for any congregation. And I, I, my whole heart beats for that and wants that yeah. to be the case. Yeah. What helped you know that after the first sabbatical that you needed to take another mm -hmm. sabbatical relatively soon? Mm -hmm. Because I was still tired. I was still mm -hmm. tired. Mm -hmm. And um, when I came back from the first one, and I was very honest with our board about this when we, you know, debriefed our time, um, I was sad. Cause I wasn't mm -hmm. ready. I wasn't ready to come back. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was sad. I, I said, you know, on sabbatical, I was happy every single day of my life, yeah. every single day of my sabbatical, I was happy. And, and I had to just share with them honestly that I was nervous about coming back. I was sad about coming back. Um, 
And that was how I knew because a sabbatical should carry you up to the shores of saying, oh, I'm ready to re-engage my life with energy and with, and I love my, I mean, I have founded yeah. the Transforming Center and I love it with all my heart and I love the people. So to feel that sense of not being ready was just something that I had to really pay attention to. And I attributed it to the fact that probably after almost 40 years in ministry, a three-month sabbatical wasn't quite enough. Probably a six-month to a year sabbatical would have been appropriate. And as I read during my sabbatical times, I saw that oftentimes sabbaticals are longer than the three months mm -hmm. that I had taken. And so um, those were just hints that um, that I really, you know, wasn't quite ready. Yeah. What surprised you the most in your sabbatical? Mm. How happy I was. Yeah. yeah how happy. I was doing nothing. I mean, you know, like not that I was doing nothing, but yeah. um, that just to be a human and to do the human things, how happy I was just in my own simple life. I don't, mm. I don't think I imagine, you know, given the fact that I have li lived my life in such a, an achieving sort of way, I don't think I would have expected that I could have been that utterly deliriously happy, you know, mm. um, just putzing around and yeah. taking care of my own soul and body. I mean, I, uh, the things I did were so normal. I didn't even do any exotic traveling because I really didn't want to. I just mm. wanted to be in my life and be in the gifts that God has given to me. And so um, it was just beautiful, just beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were, you know, uh, one or two of the biggest learnings that you learned about yourself or about God mm -hmm. during your sabbatical? Yeah. Um, well, that first of all, that entry and reentry are really important to plan for. Mm -hmm. That you you need some, that, that, you know, I don't I am not a proponent of these big huge sabbatical proposals that are five pages long and all that. I don't I don't that wouldn't minister to me at all. My proposal was very simple. It just came straight out of my heart. But I I do think that there is some planning that makes a sabbatical effective and one is having some really clear plans for unplugging. So we had, you know, we had a ritual service here and our staff where a litur liturgical prayer service was developed for me and the staff gave that to me as a gift. And we prayed into this and there was a hard stop, you know, like we all got ready. We did the work. I mean, we had a real plan for mm -hmm. the letting go for me. Um, and the thing that we didn't do as well was that I didn't I didn't have a grasp on how important reentry is. And, you know, I just was in sabbatical mode all the way up until the day that I came back to work. And um, I should have taken a week or two to do something to get to ease me back in versus yeah. just coming in so harshly. And so one of the things I include in the book is, um, you know, some thoughts about that, but a very concrete set of questions uh, that would help with reentry. Um, and with a spiritual director, I would suggest having, I'm hoping that most pastors would have a spiritual director that helps them plan their sabbatical, uh, accompanies them through their sabbatical, and then helps them process out of their sabbatical before they come back. So I include a list of questions that spiritual directors can use uh, with their directees or that a directee, a, pa a pastor or a leader could bring to their spiritual director and say, I'd like to work with these questions as part of getting ready. I think even having a retreat at the end with spiritual mm -hmm. direction mm -hmm. where you... Um, glean and capture and fully claim the the learnings that you've had and what they mean to you and any life changes that you're going to make that um and that maybe there is even a ritual to bring conclusion to your sabbatical mm -hmm. time yeah so that's a huge learning that i had yeah how about one more mm. um 
I think that what I'd want to clarify is that a lot of times people think of sabbatical as being a time to plan all these exotic trips and be on, be, you know, like on the go. Um, mm-hmm. I would not always encourage that. If you do travel, yeah. travel to some place and then get there and stay for a while. But that mm-hmm. sabbatical is really not about exotic travel, although getting out of your own setting can be really, really important. But um it's the it's the ceasing and the resting and the care, whatever care you need, whether it is spiritual direction, therapy, um, any doctor's appointments and medical procedures, sleeping in your own bed. Like if you, I travel a lot for my life, life, for my vocational mm-hmm. life, so traveling doesn't feel restful to me. It doesn't feel like a change. It did, it wouldn't feel yeah. like the change that I need in my life. And so to see the human care as the, the caring for yourself in the ways you need to be cared for and where are those resources. Um, that's, I think that's what I know more deeply now than ever, that we need to be really careful that we don't fill even sabbaticals up with distraction and keeping mm-hmm. ourselves going in, in just a different way so that we don't care for the human parts of ourselves that need a deeper level of care. Hmm. Well, I got one last question that I want to ask you, mm-hmm. but before that, I always just love asking, and I know that we could cover so much mm-hmm. more stuff. Yeah. Is there just anything top of mind that comes to mind about Sabbath or sabbatical that you want to make sure that we mention? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I conclude the book with an epilogue that starts with a quote from the Jewish tradition that says more than Sabbath, more than the, the Jews have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept them. And I would say mm-hmm. that's my story as well. That more than more than talking about how I've kept the Sabbath because I'm not perfect at it, I feel that the Sabbath has kept me alive to this day, functioning in ministry. And that if it wasn't for the Sabbath, I would not have been kept. I mean, that it's been a major way in, in which God has kept me and kept me mm-hmm. faithful and kept me present in my life um, as a person in His service. And so. Um, I think the Sabbath keeps us. To me, it is the kingpin of a life well lived in God. It is the, it is the heart of our sacred rhythms. It is what keeps us. And I, I don't think it's optional. I just can't stand the fact that somehow we feel that Sabbath is an optional practice. I don't understand how we've gotten there, but mm-hmm. it's not optional. It's absolutely essential. Um, so essential that God gave it and continues to give it to the senior leader to lead and to guide and to help others live into. Mm-hmm. Last question I want to ask mm-hmm. is for the leader who is listening and they're like, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I do want to participate in that. I do mm-hmm. want that rest, whether it be Sabbath or sabbatical. What advice would you give to them of just starting this journey? Mm-hmm. Starting with your own Sabbath journey, with your own personal practice. Um, I don't. I hope it doesn't end there, but it needs to begin there. I think Sabbath is such a deep and nuanced practice that if you haven't practiced it yourself, you're not going to be a very good guide for others. And in fact, you might, number one, be speaking and teaching in a way that lacks integrity, where people say, well, he can preach a good sermon on that, or she can preach a good sermon on that, but I know she's not practicing that. And that disconnect is not good for Mm -hmm. especially the younger generation coming up. They are looking for authenticity, as you would know. And so um, you don't want to be showing a lack of integrity around the practice. I think, you know, I am not perfect at Sabbath keeping, but I have been doing this for 20 years. And so whatever it is that you felt in reading the book is because it's so real in me, you know? Um, So that's, that would be the first thing. And, and to practice it long enough and intimately enough that, that, you know, you don't have anybody coming against you yet. 
You know, yeah. like when a pastor is trying to embrace it, it takes you to very tender places and you don't want you don't want to get attacked early. You know, later on, yeah. you know, probably if you try to lead this, you're going to get some resistance and sabotage. But you want to be so strong within yourself and your own practice that you can handle it fine. Um, and then from the place of your own practice and own conviction, then you then you start to share with others. And so um, chapter nine in the book is the chapter where I really give some very concrete guidance for how a pastor can lead his or her own community. And I give a story of Pastor Dan who goes on his yeah. own journey. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a great and very helpful and practical story, mm -hmm. too. So yeah. thank you for You're that. You're welcome. Well, that is all for my conversation with Ruth Haley Barton. Unfortunately, it got cut off right uh, fortunately or unfortunately, it did get cut off right at the end there, but we were just getting ready to wrap up. And so thankfully we did not miss any of the conversation there. And the, the audio file wasn't, uh, wasn't damaged and wasn't cut off, uh, except for the final intro. And so I do want to say thank you to Ruth for being on the podcast today and just for the incredible and amazing work that, that she has done and is helping literally so many leaders across, you know, literally across the world. And so please check out her book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest from Sabbath to Sabbatical and Back Again. Uh, and again, you could go to Amazon, you could go to uh, her website, which we'll link to in the show notes. Check out her podcast, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, as well to keep up with her in all of that stuff. So here's a couple of things that that conversation made me think of and think about. I think really just around the idea of how do you build that Sabbath community that she was mentioning in there? How can you build a place to wherever you can take Sabbath and that it is, it is a community practice and it's not only an individual practice and the same for sabbaticals as well. How can we make sabbaticals a, a more normalized thing to help give people the rest that they need as well. And so, yeah, just, just a very challenging, um, just a very challenging conversation. And I feel like I've gotten better at it over the years, but I still have room to grow. The ceasing part is still very difficult for me of just choosing. Nope. I am stopping doing the work now even if everything isn't finished or I haven't gotten as far as I want to especially with here things on the podcast it's it's just difficult for me to disconnect because um I just love it so much I love doing this work and it could be difficult to stop doing the work that you love however it is it is necessary for the long run and I think that's just the last thing I want to mention is what she said is that sabbath helps us um, or the, the effect that she said of long-term pastoring. And that's something that we've talked about here on the podcast. How can we set ourselves up for the long haul for the people that we love and care about most, whether you're a pastor or whether you're just a, a friend, how can you set yourself up for the long-term, the long haul, you know, the long run, whatever the marathon, not the sprint, all of that stuff. And Sabbath is a crucial piece of that. 
And so those are just some of the things that I'm thinking of based on this conversation. And if you want to keep up with the Learner's Corner and everything that's happening here, and if you want to continue to learn and grow, please subscribe to my newsletter as well to where I give you all the things that I am thinking about and some of the things that I am learning from as well. And again, you could just go to the show notes and check out all of that stuff. And that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you again to Ruth Haley Barton for being on the podcast today. Thank you for, uh, again, just doing the work. It was a great conversation. Highly recommend that you pick up the book. Thanks to Sam Massey for being on the podcast. Or not for being on the podcast. Thanks to Sam Massey for creating the music for the podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.